Well, it's a thrill and an honor to be able to talk to a true American patriot. A man with seven number one hits under his belt, 32 charted singles, multiple wins at the ACM, CMAs, and even a Grammy win. An absolute legend. The great Lee Greenwood has been kind enough to spend some time with us tonight. Lee, thank you so much for being a part of the show. You're welcome, Glenn. Thank you, and it's my privilege as well. We are just ecstatic to have you, and we've got a lot to talk about, and I want to just jump right into it. We want to get to know you a little bit, starting with where it all started for you, which I guess would have been out west. You were born in the Los Angeles area, weren't you? Born in uh, Southgate, was L.A. County, yeah. and uh, my father joined the Navy uh, right after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. I was born in 42, so you get the time frame right. And uh, my mother and father divorced, and it obvious, uh, sometimes war does that to families. I was raised by my grandparents in Sacramento. Uh, I had a great life on the farm um, with my grandparents, and, and they taught me all the great lessons of life I would use later in my, in my life. I moved to Nevada at the age of 17 after graduating high school and stayed 20 years in the state of Nevada, working Lake Tahoe, Vegas mainly, uh, and Reno. I dealt cards in some of the casinos for three and a half years. And when my country music career hit, I finally moved to uh, to my now home, Tennessee. That's right. I mean, and I, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit too, but uh, I understand it could have went a different direction. You were a pretty good athlete growing up. Well, you know, it, music and sports so go, so go hand in hand. And I, I love baseball so very much. I, um, I'm about 5'7", 140 when I left high school dripping wet. And so <laughs> it was not really a career for me in baseball. I was scouted by the Dodgers, but I just never went to training camp. I followed my dream of music because it was just the spirit inside of me that led there. I did play sports the rest of my life and uh, went from baseball to basketball and then half-court basketball and then racquetball, and I, I played everything I'd get my hands on. But music obviously was always big for you. I know you were a drum major in high school. What kind of got you going towards that path, the musical path? Well, I never, I never veered away from music. Uh, it was always in my life. My mother was a piano player in the 40s, and, uh, and I had access to a piano in my house. It just sort of came to me naturally. I began to uh, play the woodwind instruments. By the time I got into high school, uh, I had five music classes, including choir and orchestra and jazz band. Uh, as you mentioned, I was a drum major of my marching band as well at Norte Del Rio High School in Sacramento, California. Um, but I, I just love music so very much. Uh, I had my own band formed while I was in Sacramento, and we moved to Vegas in 1960 and opened the Stardust Hotel uh, with the Apollos, which uh, is a name for a Greek god. I don't know why we had that name, but <laughs> we kind of liked it. And, and we worked there for a year at the Stardust before I broke up my band and then started working as a musician. I guess that's where you kind of got discovered, if you will. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was 1979 in Sparks, Nevada, right? Yes. Um, former bass player who has now passed on of Mel Tillis, who has also left us mm -hmm. as well, uh, we were working in the same hotel at the Sparks Nugget. It was called John Esquaga's Nugget Casino in Sparks. And he uh, he and Mel were in the main room. I was in the lounge of the show, and they had come to see my show. We didn't get a chance to talk that night because it was my closing night, and I went on to uh, to play piano bar at the MGM. They came back again three or four months later and worked the same room, and Larry McFadden, the bass player, came looking for me. He found me at the MGM. We talked. I really, at that point in time, when I, I was playing music, I was an R&B jazz player, uh, rock, you know, I had no idea that country music would be an avenue for me to, 
to explore. And when he offered me that opportunity, I was a little surprised. But there were others in my same kind of genre. If you look, if you look back, Ronnie Millsap, Kenny Rogers, a few others who who actually embraced the contemporary side of country music. And uh, the only thing was different, me being from the West Coast, I didn't really have a twang. I didn't have a, a southern accent. So it, it really wasn't uphill. I was just very different when I joined MCA in 1980, um, 79 and 80, with George Strait, Reba McIntyre, the Oak Ridge Boys, and Barbara Mandrell. And then we worked like a crazy horse. You joined up about the same time all those acts did? Yes, that same label. Jim Fogelson at the time was the head of MCA and signed all five of us within two years. That's a pretty good little cast right there. Great stable. (laughs) We loved each other, too. That's fantastic. So uh, with you not necessarily having a country music background, per se, what did you grow up listening to, or what were you more interested in before that? Well, all sorts of music, because even country was considered pop music at that time. And uh, whether or not it was Smoke, Smoke, Smoke That Cigarette, or Georgia by Ray Charles, or people Bryson singing pop music. I mean, I, I was all over the place in, in what I really loved and what I learned. But as a musician first, a singer second, and probably a writer third, I listened to people like Barbara Streisand and Kenny Rogers, and, and um, Illinois Jaquette was a sax player, Earl Bostick was a sax player, and it became my main instrument, Sam Butera and the Witnesses that played for Louis Prima, uh, I patterned my tenor saxophone sound after that, and it just I grew in so many areas at the same time. But show business was my was my main focus from 17 till about 24 years old. I really didn't write much; I just performed and and played all of the clubs in Las Vegas. Well, after signing that deal, your first single comes out in 1981. It turns me inside out. It's a hit, and the, and the career's rolling. What do you remember about you know that time and getting that first single out on radio? You know, you don't know who you are as an artist until you hear yourself on radio for the first time. Mm. I mean, you've been in the studio, you've created all you can, and, uh, and, and you listen to yourself singing and with the other musicians, but the first time you hear on radio, it's like, oh, that's what I sound like. You know, <laughs> it really, it's a, it's a revelation. I can remember very well, I'm being on tour, and uh, we pull into this nightclub in Oklahoma. I had the one hit on radio. And and I am I checking into the hotel with my three piece band. That's all we had at that time. I was playing piano in the band all the time before I hired a piano player. And I hear the band in the lounge playing my song. It turns me inside out. And I could not help myself but to go into the into the club. And uh, <clears throat> I walked up to the stage. And I and the and the piano player or the bass player was standing next to the stage. I said, Hey, that's my song. And they went, Yeah, whatever. Get out of here. You know, it's like, <laughs> because nobody knew what I looked like. As a matter of fact, they were playing Inside Out on some of the black stations because they thought I was an African-American. Huh. Uh, it had a deeper sound that nobody had heard before, similar to Kenny Rogers. And until the press came out, uh, who I was and where I was from, uh, there wasn't really not a definition. So it, it was it was amazing time um, to get on the road and start recording. And it became harder as we toured 300 days a year for the first three years to get into the studio and make the next three albums. And I want to talk about more of the hits. We're not going to have time to talk about all of them, but certainly the biggest. Uh, the next one I want to get to is is IOU. Um, it wasn't number one when it came out, but it did earn you, uh, I guess, a Grammy Award. 1983, Best Male Vocalist for CMA. It was written by Kerry Chater and Austin Roberts. The song was from our Somebody's Gonna Love You album, which also produced a single and went top five. And 
the particular song that we were going to release instead of IOU was Wind Beneath My Wings. We also were the first one to record that. And all three of those on the same album was a difficult choice. We decided to come with IOU first and release Wind second. It turned out that Gary Morris instead covered the Wind Beneath My Wings, and that was his first release that year. So we did never release Wind Beneath My Wings. Huh. But that, I get the credit for that as well. And, and yes, IOU won us the Grammy, and um, it was a great song and a great video. Did that change things for you, winning a Grammy, or if it did, how so? Um, no, it didn't really change. As a matter of fact, during those years, Glenn, the Academy uh, of uh, NARAS, N-A-R-A-S, uh, did not uh, have country music as a television part of the show. It was always, they would uh. announce the, who the winners were prior to the show and then say, okay, now here's the real music you want to talk about, hip-hop and rock and, ro- and uh, rap. And so we were kind of like the stepchild. And so I elected not to go to the to the Grammys that year, and uh, unbeknownst to me, we were we were going to win. And so I, instead, I played the Houston Rodeo that night, and I had a friend that was in one of the suites, Danny Lang, born the same day as I was, and and we had horses in common and country music. And so he had a suite upstairs at the Astrodome, and I said, if I if I win, because uh, I'm on stage at the same time of the Grammys, flip your lights on in the suite. And he did. I went, well, I'll be darned. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, and from that same album, you already mentioned Somebody's Gonna Love You and Going, Going, Gone. They were both number one hits, and you get your first two uh, number ones there back-to-back. Going, Going, Gone was special because it was one of three songs written by Jan Crutchfield. Jan is a, is, was a guy. Um, he's, he's passed on now. His brother, Jerry Crutchfield, was my producer and the head of MCA Music. So when he brought me, it turns me inside out, he brought me also Going, Going, Gone, our first number one, as you mentioned, and She's Lying which I call the trilogy because they're kind of about the same thing. It's hard to, sometimes as a writer to say the same thing again, another song, just differently, but he did it very well, and all three were hits for me. Well, the next big one chronologically is God Bless the USA, which would change your life forever and touch millions upon millions of others. What does that song mean to you? Well, it is my signature song, and many, many people refer to it as proud to be an American that, because that's the hook of the song. Mm-hmm. The middle. Um, but because I'm a conservative Christian, I put God first. That's just the way I feel personally. It, it is an important song for me and for the country because there hadn't really been a patriotic anthem for a lot of years, and it was written long before 9-11. I actually wrote it in 1983, produced a hit in 1984. It wasn't top five. It was, I think, reached the charts at number 11. Uh, but it was Song of the Year in 1985 at the CMA, which gave me that credibility. It would later become more important to the country after the Gulf War, Katrina, and then 9-11. And more people found that it was the patriotic song to turn to. Um, I tell people it is a, uh, uh, it, it is a career song, uh, and it's an umbrella that kind of shadows all of the rest of the songs I've ever written or recorded, but it is not a parachute. I uh, I still write songs. I'm coming out with a new 21-song CD this uh, summer that I wrote them all. And some have been previously recorded, but some people have never heard. And I wanted to re-record those that have been previously recorded at MCA or Capitol or Curb so that I own the masters. One of your talents, one of many, is picking great songs. But in this instance, and God bless the USA, you actually wrote that song. What What inspired you to write it? Well, first of all, I... I started working for the USO when I was like 13, 14 years old in the town where I was from, Sacramento, California. 
They had two SAC command bases there for the Air Force, McClellan and Mather. I also worked Travis down in uh, Fresno, uh, the Presidio in San Francisco. At March Air Force Base, they also had a, a very large base uh, army at Fort Ord. And I played all these, all these bases with the USO. I even went to Alaska uh, while I was still in high school and played at Al- Almondorf Air Force Base with a show. So my love for the military became very early, and not just because my father served in the Navy, but because I recognized the sacrifice that the military made. And I hadn't made any international tours other than Alaska until I got much older and moved to Tennessee, and I started doing my international USO tours. But USA was, always, was a song I always wanted to write about the country. Being from the West Coast, I hadn't traveled much. I asked my mother one time, I said, how far have you traveled east? And she said, Nevada. Uh, at the time, that seemed east to me and, until I got a chance to see the rest of the country and uh, and then traveled like a crazy person. As I mentioned to you, our career started in 79 in Nashville, but I wrote USA in 1983 after we had already traveled 3 million miles in the country. So it gave me a better perspective of uh, of our culture from Texas to New York and Miami to Oregon and you just name it. And uh, And the song came very easy because in those years, touring so heavily, I wrote all the songs that I wrote for my first 10 albums on my bus. And uh, when, I, when I came to Nashville and played it for my producer, Jerry Crutchfield, he said, well, it's not the way your career is really going. He said, we won't release this as a single, but if you want to put it on this album, which was our, our You Got a Good Love Coming album, which produced a, a hit and a video, by the way, which is on YouTube still today, um, we, we didn't include it as a, it, it as a list of recordings. So it wasn't until Universal made the call uh, before we released You Got a Good Love Coming to release God Bless USA first, and then the rest is history. You couldn't have possibly had any idea of the life that this song would take on, the way it just keeps coming back. It's the most well-known patriotic song of all time. I think, um, yeah, you're right. It was a little at a time. I mean, uh, as each domino fell uh, about something else that involved America's future, People would grasp something, and, and not to uh, push aside God Bless America, or America the Beautiful, and certainly our national anthem, which became in jeopardy after people started kneeling in the NFL uh, against the national anthem. Then people began to turn to my song more than ever because there was no disrespect because it wasn't the national anthem. But it means the same thing. It's about respect for the country and the flag and, uh, and, our, and our Christian roots. What I love about you and what I love about that song is that a lot of people write songs like that after something happens, but but you wrote it before all of these big events happened, and you know it was kind of patriotic before it was cool to be patriotic. You know what I mean? Yeah, like Barbara Mandrell, I was country before country was cool. Yeah. And I, you know, I've always been a patriotic. I was a Cub Scout. Uh, I played baseball. You know, you talk about real patriotism, American Pie. And uh, it was just something that always was inbred with me to respect the flag, stand up tall, and then play the national anthem. I didn't serve in the military, and it wasn't my calling. I was 3A in the draft for various reasons, but I, I always wanted to do something that gave respect to the country. And maybe that's because if you know if you believe something in your heart, and and you express yourself that way, you walk the walk. Um, you won't have to uh, ever uh, ask for excuses for it. Well, I'm glad you brought up Barbara Mandrell. Uh, an awesome song you recorded with her, To Me, uh, came out in 1984. That was a big hit for the both of you, wasn't it? Yes, and ha- what inspired that album was I wrote a song for her called We Were Meant for Each Other. It was the name of the album 
the song To Me, nominated for a Grammy, written by Mike Reed, former uh, uh, football player. Uh, He was a better writer than a football player, actually, (laughs) Um, but a very talented guy. And my producer, Jerry Crutchfield, got together with Barbara's producer, Tom Collins, and formed a production company called Tom and Jerry. I thought that was very cute. Uh, Barbara and I are very close all these years, and we toured together. For, she was so good to me as an opening act. Many times we'd come out and sing the song to me on stage together. As a matter of fact, I think it was 1984 or 85 that I presented her the People's Choice Award in St. Louis when she and Barbara Streisand mutually won that award. She's awesome. We're going to have to play some Barbara Mandrell, too. My favorite song of yours outside of God Bless the USA, though, Lee, is Dixie Road. Certainly popular. You know, if you look at something, uh, a real country career, let's take the Oak Ridge Boys, for instance, and they come with a song called Elvira. I mean, if you hit the heart of America, that don't, you're not really poking fun at country people. You're actually embracing them. The people, you know, that have a handkerchief hanging out of their jeans, they're rodeo riders, they have a pickup truck with a Dixie flag out the back. It's, it's just part of the heart of America. Dixie Road hit that audience, and, and it was romantic. And, it, and as, you, as I pointed out earlier, my voice had no twang on it. But um, I think people liked it because I went back to the roots. I went back to what country did for me, and that was make my career. Dixie didn't, didn't come out for, I can't remember what album it was on now. It was like three or four albums in, um, and it was a great song. 1985, I think, was the release. 85 was a good year because I think that was off your greatest hits album. And then you'd follow that up with Streamline with three more number ones. I don't mind the thorns. Don't underestimate my love for you. And hearts aren't made to break. All came out there in like 85, 86. Yeah, the 80s, the decade, the 80s was very good to me. We were we were on the charts all the time. And there's a point where you go, am I ever going to not have a hit? You know, and then after you don't have a hit, you're Will I ever have another one again? It's like, really, you kind of look back at it. And now it really doesn't matter um, because you have your own YouTube channel. You know, you have your own website. People can find your music. You can download your songs. And along those lines, we have two albums that are just put up by Time Life Warner, uh, Same River, Different Bridge, which nobody's ever heard any of this music, and they're really wonderful songs. And Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, songs that, uh, that I own. And uh, Universal just released my first eight albums on digital. So you can find those on Spotify as well. A couple other things I wanted to ask you about. Um, obviously, the huge honor of being appointed to a six-year term to the National Council on the Arts, and then I believe having that extended as well. What, what did that mean to you? Yes, I was appointed by uh, President Bush, 43. <clears throat> and it's a six-year appointment, but you serve at the pleasure of the president. You have to be ratified by the Senate. And so there is a 14-member council. And really, there are still four or five council members that have been on for more than 14 years uh, the longest-running member, I think, is myself uh, in history. And, uh, and I'm, st- I'm still on the council uh, for the NEA. There's the NEA and the NEH. Both are individual uh, departments of the government, uh, but I am a government employee in that regard, and uh, we, we have millions of dollars every year to give to the cultural art development of the United States. You've served under multiple administrations on both sides of the aisle as well. Yeah, and that gives me great pleasure. I mean, I've, I've sang for five different presidents twice. The first time at the Reagan Library, which was um, Nixon, Carter, Ford, Bush, and Reagan, and all their wives, and Lady Bird Johnson, by the way, whose husband had already been killed. Um, and then the second time at Texas A&M a couple of years ago for hurricane relief, and that was Presidents Clinton, 
uh, Carter, uh, Obama, Bush, and Bush. And, uh, and so, you know, it's like I, I don't really have a side to take. I, I, I have my own personal views of what I do when I go to vote, but I don't wear that on my sleeve, and I don't talk about it on stage. You have a uh, all-star tribute show to you that is coming up in Huntsville, Alabama on October the 12th. Some really big names set to perform. I guess you'll be performing too, right? Well, I don't know. Um, this is a tribute to the musicians, artists, uh, singers, producers, engineers who have made 40 hits for me uh, over the years. And we have asked a, a numerous amount of country stars and pop stars to come and sing my songs as a tribute to all of those folks. And it is October 12th at the Von Braun Center in Huntsville, Alabama. Uh, it's a star-studded night. It'll only be one show. We'll never do this again. We're going to film it and, uh, and play it on television in the ensuing years. But, but this particular night's going to be star-studded. And we've talked about the Oak Ridge Boys. They're set to be there. Crystal Gale and a lot of current artists as well, like uh, Lee Bryce and Dustin Lynch. I mean, th there's some really big names. The front men of country music, Larry Stewart, Richie McDonald, Tim Rushlow. I, uh, I really love the lineup that you have put together for this. Yeah, I, and nobody, nobody that I ever asked had said no. And, and I, we're still going to announce other artists who uh, still have touring schedules this year, and we can't announce them until after June. Um, but it'll be exciting to see all the people with it. I just talked to Kid Rock the other day. He's coming. Keith Urban said he would. I mean, it's just like I've got this lineup of people. It's going to be so much fun just to spend a night with them and listen to them sing. As if you haven't done enough for America and for the troops already, you also have a new bourbon whiskey with Soldier Valley Spirits. Tell me about this. <laughs> it's about to have fun, I think. You know, <laughs> uh, These two soldiers, one a Marine, one, a, uh, one an Army veteran, um, have this bourbon company called Soldier Valley out in Nebraska, and they asked me if I would uh, put my name on it, be signatory to their, their new bourbon. I said, well, if it's a good one, and so I found out that they won two gold medals already in San Francisco back-to-back -back at international competition, so the Lee Greenwood Signature Bourbon Whiskey will be distributed all across America by Memorial Day, and you can look for those bottles. It looks like a World War II canteen. Uh, and it has a dog tag hanging off of it with LG on it. So you, it'd be easy to find in the spirit stores. That's very, very cool. Lee Greenwood has been our guest uh, tonight on K103. Lee, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you spending some time. I know, I know you're a busy man, so thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. And if anybody uh, wants to know how to get to our Von Braun October 12th show, go to Ticketmaster. It's available there. Ticketmaster and uh, your website, you can link to that as well. And, Lee, I want to thank you not just for coming on the show, but thanks so much for keeping the spirit of America alive in your music and continuing to wear the red, white, and blue proudly. You know, we talked about you being patriotic before it was cool to be patriotic, and it seems like now, again, it's not cool to be patriotic, at least mainstream. So I appreciate, and I know your fans appreciate you never wavering in that. So thank you again. Fantastic, Glenn. Thank you.